This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at fearfreepets.com. This is the Fear Free podcast series. I'm your host, Steve Dale. I happen to have one of my favorite people right here. That's Debbie Martin, licensed veterinary technician, specialist in behavior. Perhaps you have seen uh, Debbie speak at veterinary conferences. If you haven't, you have missed a great opportunity. Go see Debbie speak. And you have a new book coming out, or at least a new version of the book that was out, right? Correct. Yes. Canine and feline behavior for veterinary technicians and nurses. The second edition is available for pre-order. It should be out in June through Wiley. Yeah. And everything you've ever wanted to know is in that book or you're about to hear in this podcast. I remember when Fear Free was just launched and you, myself, and a couple of other speakers were kind of on a speaking tour for Fear Free, if you will. And uh, you spoke about how one thing, and you told the story about holding down a little dog. I don't remember the breed. And there were like- a mixed breed. Okay. I remember this story. Yeah. And there were like, 14 of you. I mean, they they imported technicians from over the state line. I mean, everyone around was holding down this little dog. And the next day, you were describing that you could, I don't don't think you went into work because your back hurt so bad. I mean, imagine you said how the dog felt. And to me, that was one of those, I repeat the story the best I can, all the time, because it's one of those scenarios that so many technicians have, they've been there, they've done that, but also it connects, it doesn't need to be that way. Can you talk right. about that a little? Yeah. Um, so Domino was a mixed breed hound dog that came in and uh, it was the first time that dog had come to our clinic. And it, this is back in the nineties. I mean, I was in my twenties and <laughs> young, fit, you know, <laughs> getting up and down off the ground was not a problem. And Domino, the owner reported, like, that was a very nice, friendly dog. And it was. He was really outgoing. He was engaged with us and interested in be getting pets and all kinds of stuff. But she said when it came to nail trams, he was a challenge. And uh, she didn't lie about that. And certainly this was a time back in the day where, you know, it was pile of tech. You would hold the dog down and get the nails done. And I felt pretty justified in the fact that we got his nails done that day, um, but it was a struggle. And I think what hit me the most was that Domino, as soon as we were done doing his nails and we let him go, he came back and gave me kisses and was really friendly. Like he didn't hold a grudge. And I think because of that, the next morning when I woke up all stiff and sore, I thought about this sweet dog you know, they're all sweet, but some of them are just a little bit more afraid of us. But Domino turned around right afterwards and forgave me and said, you know, I know, you know, like I could still be your friend. And, and so I had that empathy for wondering how Domino felt that morning after being held still by so many people and kind of resisting that. Yeah. And I realizing mean, the, the impact we were having in it. Maybe there was a different way we could do these things. Exactly. So when you first heard about Fear Free, you th- apparently thought about that story is what you tell when you tell the story. What sold you on Fear Free at the very beginning where you thought this could be great? Now that you've been 
talking about Fear Free, teaching others about Fear Free techniques for now several years, what has, in fact, worked out so well to make a difference? There have been a lot of things. Um, So what sold me on Fear Free was the fact that Dr. Marty Becker was collaborating with all different types of specialties. Certainly behavior was part of it, but also pain and derm and surgery and emergency, you know, so this was really expanding across all of veterinary care, not just the behavior perspective. And because it was making it more mainstream, it appealed to me because it felt like the message would get out to more people. And it and it has, it obviously has made a huge impact. And, and doing simple things like just being aware of the fact that there are odors and scents in the environment that can either calm or panic a pet coming into the hospital and create a whole different experience for them. So just being mindful of the environment that we're setting up using that considerate approach, looking at the animal in front of us, the species in front of us, and understanding how they perceive the world differently, and then creating a spa-like environment within the veterinary hospital so we're not eliciting fear, anxiety, and stress in the pets. Inadvertently, just by the things that we're using to clean or the odors that we have purposely or not so purposely (laughs) have in the environment and and, um, the impact that it can have on the whole experience for the pet and for the pet owner. Yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit, and you transition perfectly into what I want to talk about. I think sometimes, I mean, we know about it. We've studied how well dogs smell and how they perceive the world, and cats too. (laughs) They live by their nose. But in the real world, day-to-day basis, it's not something we necessarily think about. And I think where you're going with this is we need to think about it from their perspective. We do. And we cannot experience what they experience. That's the hardest part. And we also can't see it. So when you can't put your finger on it or can't actually see the pheromones that are out there or um, maybe perceive some of the odors that are there, that makes it really difficult for us as humans then to adapt an environment. So um, we have to kind of look at the science sometimes and try to extrapolate, like, what is it the animal might be perceiving? Or what are potential triggers in the environment that we can control, you know, like our cleaning protocols outside, um, our cleaning protocols inside, as well as what are some of the environmental calming pheromones or calming odors that we can use to help make the experience better for the pet as well as the pet owner. Yeah, so I want to talk about pheromones a little bit. Uh, The the word has been bandied around for a long time. That is something we can't even possibly sense. So, yes, when I talk about cleaning solutions, for example, what to do, what not to do with you, which we could talk about next, well, we can perhaps smell those ourselves uh, and then understand that the dog's sense of it is, what, about 300 times at least stronger than our own or cats. However, with pheromones, we have no way to even sense what they're sensing. And that's probably a better way to put it because they're not smelling it. They're sensing it through the Jacobson's organ. Uh, But nevertheless, we have no idea. So what do we do about that? 
Yeah. So pheromones are amazing, really. Like if you think about it, I mean, we have pheromones too that are we unconsciously respond to. So human pheromones and um, some uh, some receptors within that Jacobson organ or the vomoronasal organ um, are actually probably capable of detecting these chemical messages or signals from other species, but may not be able to interpret them. So especially cats, this is interesting. They actually did a study not that long ago looking at these receptors within the vomeronasal organ, basically. They're, I'm not going to get, I don't want to get too sciencey on it, but basically they have these, these VR1 receptors that are specific to pheromones like in urine or stool or bodily secretions, um, re reproductive organs, those types of things. Um, and they, there are a variety of different ones. And what's cool is, so dogs have nine different variants of this BR1. Humans have two. You want to guess how many cats have? 22. 30. They close. actually have 30. So they can actually have maybe more precision in detecting some of these pheromones within their species, especially. Um, some of them may cross over into other species as well, as I mentioned. But um, it just tells us like how important those chemical messages are. So if you have a cat that comes into your veterinary hospital and is frightened, they may leave these kind of fear pheromones in the environment, not only in the air, but also on the surfaces, right? So we want to make sure we have a good uh, HVAC system. So <laughs> turnover is pretty quickly. Um, but then also we want to make sure we're using cleaners and disinfectants that actually eliminate the pheromones or, or those messages that are there. So, um, so that those fear pheromones are not left behind. Are there products we could use that actually make the problem worse because then the product itself has an odor which is noxious yeah. to the pet, combined with the fact that maybe that product isn't even getting rid of those pheromone smells, combined with maybe the dog had an accident or the cat had an accident, or, mm -hmm. or maybe uh, the very lucky technician got to express those anal sacs and, you know, to get rid of all the other smells, but do it effectively as well. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, we, de we definitely have to be careful about what we're using because we don't want to call cause what is known as nose blindness, where we actually overpower their epithelial cells within their nose that to the point that they cannot take in, in, in any information. It's almost like if you smell something really strong, it kind of makes, you can't smell anything else for a while, right? So same thing can happen to people, but for dogs and cats who rely on odors and pheromones to tell them if it's safe or unsafe, uh, that can actually create quite a bit of fear and anxiety in a pet if they're unable to take in that information in their environment because of like maybe we're using a really strong cleaner, like a bleach or something like that, that is going to kind of block those receptors temporarily. Um, things that I I tend to use, so I use a hydrogen peroxide, accelerated hydrogen peroxide products, the rescue products, and we use the wipes, we use the spray, we also use it for doing our floor in, in the in the consultation area in the vet hospital, and so those actually have been studied to take away 
stress pheromones. So they did a study looking at bobcat urine, actually. Hmm. <laughs> and um, it was effective in removing that odor or chemical message, I guess. <laughs> How important is it to bring some positive messaged odors with you as a pet parent and telling pet parents to do that, which I think a lot of veterinary clinics increasingly are doing. So I'm talking about bringing a favorite plush toy, not only because that plush toy may be fun to play with or comforting, but the odor itself is comforting as well. Bringing a blanket or maybe even some bedding from the the pet parent's home, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Or even just uh, the t-shirt they slept in the night before. <laughs> Right, the owner yeah. slept in, yeah. uh, but definitely, like especially for cats, right? Bringing their comfortable bed from home that hasn't just been washed, that has all of their familiar scents, that definitely can provide comfort. We also have studies that indicate that there are specific odors that we can use in the environment that, besides calming pheromones like the dog appeasing pheromone or the feline uh, feel away, um, but there are other odors like lavender and chamomile, vanilla, valerian, coconut, and even ginger, maybe mm -hmm. for dogs. Um, cats, it, lavender and chamomile probably has an effect, um, a calming effect. But when we're talking about using aromatherapy, we have to be really careful. Not only are people like super sensitive to it. I'm one of those people, like if it's a really strong odor or just too much of it, it gives me a headache um, and can actually make me cough. And so cats and dogs are really sensitive. When we're talking about using a diluted odor in the environment, like an essential oil, you're talking about like a drop of oil on a cotton ball that's in a mason jar that has a lid on it with uh, maybe a couple holes in it. So it kind of dissipates out of there, but it's not necessarily diffusing into the environment and causing respiratory issues for cats, people, or other animals. Well, that's a good point. And I, and I want to present it a little differently that if that animal, dog particularly, but cats very much as well, have a sense of smell that is maybe 30 or 40,000 times what ours is, a little bit goes a long way, correct? Correct. And and they can detect things that we can't detect. That's why, uh, well, they can hear things and see True. things sometimes that we can't detect as well. Um, but the a little goes a long way. for And, and just like with humans, individual uh, preference is going to be there too. I am one of those people, like, if you've got one of those fragrance plugins in your house, like, a lot of people like that smell. To me, it's a headache generator, and I find it kind of aversive. <laughs> so uh, really minimizing it, just having it in the background. It's almost like when we think about using sound therapy as well, like it's not to overpower. It's just to be there slightly in the background, kind of creating a slight change in the environment. And um, it doesn't have to be overpowering and kind of dominant in the environment, so to speak. Now, we're talking about veterinary clinics. Do you have any tips if you happen to be boarding your pet? I, I suggest some are similar to bring familiar scents with you. And now I would argue even more important than, say, a quick vac vaccine visit to the vet. Still a good idea to do that. A necessary idea, I think, if you're boarding your pet. Yeah, definitely. And familiar, not only familiar scent and odor, uh, familiar bedding, maybe they're some of their favorite toys is if it's safe for them to have those in that environment. Some boarding facilities may be uncomfortable with that. They're 
or worry about dogs chewing things or ingesting things. Cats, especially like allowing them to have their a hiding spot and soft bedding that is familiar. And then also thinking about not stripping those odors away every time we clean the area that they're housed in, you know, so we don't need to take everything out and put in all new stuff each time, just clean up kind of the area and leave some of the familiar scent still there so that they don't have to kind of reestablish that kind of familiarity and comfort zone after the cleaning every day or, um, no, no, I think change that's, of the kennel. Yeah. Yes, I think that's a great point that I haven't heard mm-hmm. others make before because the responsible facilities do want to keep everything clean, and that makes sense. However, you don't want to clearly wipe away all the scents. So right. that's so spot yeah, cleaning. Yeah. Spot cleaning would be the way to go. Yeah. Yeah, I have not. Uh, that's a great point. You know what though? Every time, and I do mean every time, I talk with Debbie Martin. I learned things. Licensed veterinary technician, specialist in behavior. Thank you so much, Debbie. Thank you. And tell me the name of the book and when people can pre-order that book. It's Canine and Feline Behavior for Veterinary Technicians and Nurses. And it is available for pre-order on Wiley.com right now. It comes out in June. All right. And if you're already registered for Fear Free, be sure to keep up with all the Fear Free happenings. Access the new toolbox items and you'll find all the additional courses at fearfreepets.com. And of course, if you're not registered, find everything you need to know to get started at fearfreepets.com. If you're a member interested in pursuing veterinary practice certification, get more details on the same site under the Veterinary About section. And if you're a pet owner who just stumbled upon this podcast, Lucky you, you just heard one of the best, and you can learn more at fearfreehappyhomes.com.